Chapter 28, The Plan Forward Everyone had agreed on a three-day moratorium concerning what had become known as the incident. It was difficult within the plantation house because most of the Owens family was in the dark, metaphorically, concerning the incident. There were lots of rapid start and stops conversations about it, but everyone tried to keep it under wraps. And now the day had finally come. Jim Bob had arranged a luncheon with the help of Annie and Mary Alice to bring together those concerned or interested to plan a way forward to answer the mystery of the man in the cave. Today was the day. Dad, please tell me we are having barbecue for lunch. There are other foods in the world. Freddie was tired of barbecue, something for which Jim Bob had little patience. Jim Bob heard the crunch of gravel and stepped through the doubled front doors of the plantation to greet the guests and was joined by Freddie. We're having a potluck, so there should be a variety. Hopefully for you, nobody stopped by Smoky Toast for barbecue. Johnny Crow arrived first, bringing with him his wife Irene, Oscar, and Reba. Most of the Owens had not seen Oscar since the great chicken raid. Jim Bob was giddy when he saw them retrieving not one, but two deviled egg carriers out of the trunk. He giggled to himself and did a little dance in his head, or so he thought. Dad, why are you giggling and dancing? You were into the Gaelic whiskey this morning. Freddie stared at his father intently. Apparently, Jim Bob did not giggle to himself or just dance in his head. A yonder sheriff's car was next, bringing T.P. and Sheriff Stratton. They were both off-duty and dressed in street clothes. The sheriff's car was followed by a banana yellow Volkswagen Vanagon camper in mint condition. Jim Bob thought to himself, who in the wide world of sports is that? The yellow camper slid to a stop, creating a cloud of dust from which emerged none other than Sammy and a beautiful woman who looked young enough to be his daughter. Sammy shook hands with Jim Bob and Freddie, giving them each a one-armed hug. This is Candy. Candy meet Jim Bob and the precocious Freddie. Pleased to meet you both. Jim Bob, your reputation precedes you, but I won't hold that against you. Do you go by Buddha or Gunny? And no, I'm not his daughter. Sammy is aging like fine cheese, and I'm blessed to age like fine wine. Can't wait to meet Mary Alice. Oh, the stories we can share. Candy moved into the house and into the den with the rest of the guests. Jim Bob could already hear Candy and Mary Alice chattering and laughing. Let's go, Freddie. That's everybody. Jim Bob walked through the double doors and closed them behind him before walking into the den. As he and Freddie walked into the room, all conversation stopped and all eyes were on them. Freddie smiled broadly and turned to point his right index finger at Jim Bob. The room erupted with laughter. The den sectional had been configured into a circle with breaks on each side. Coffee tables had been arranged in front of the sectionals for eating. Various dishes of food had been spread on the side tables around the periphery of the room. Tubbs rose, cleared his throat, and offered a prayer before the festivities began. Sheriff Stratton was standing near Jim Bob and called out a suggestion as everyone seemed to be waiting for instructions. I'd suggest Freddie and Lily get food first so they can finish eating and begin to tell us their story while the rest of us finish eating. And of course, ladies first as always. He finished with a slight bow and sweep of his hand in the direction of the plates and silverware that marked the beginning of the potluck buffet. The room was soon filled with the sound of silverware clinking against plates and ice-filling glasses for sweet tea. 
Lily and Freddie finished eating almost simultaneously and carried their dishes to the kitchen. Mary Alice and Annie had insisted they use real plates and silverware. Both returned to the den, filled their glasses with sweet tea, and sat back at the focus point of the circle of couches. Both looked to their dad, who nodded yes, and slowly they began to tell their story. Lily and Freddie alternated the storytelling, filling in blanks with the details they each had not heard from each other. After an hour or so, they wound down their story, and everyone had cleared away their dishes and refreshed their beverages. Freddie looked at Lily, who nodded, and then scanned the room as he talked. We know there are a lot of questions. Lily and I suggest that we go clockwise, allowing each person a question and a follow-up to keep things moving. He turned to their left and made eye contact with TP. You're at bat. Share for your own deck. TP reached in his uniform shirt pocket and retrieved his notebook and thumbed to a page of questions. Lily and Freddie both sat up straighter. TP noticed their change in posture and smiled broadly. This is my personal notebook, not my investigation notebook. Relax. Close your eyes and tell me what you smelled and heard in the caves as best you can. The only sound was the hiss of the air conditioning. Lily and Freddie closed their eyes, breathed in and out deeply, and let their thoughts take them back to the cave. At one point, they both shivered as if cold, and then they opened their eyes with a loud exhale to relax again. Freddie was first. It was not dank as I would expect. It was dark, but there was no odor of decay, mold, or mildew. There was a constant sound of dripping water, and when the fire was low, I could faintly hear the sound of flowing or trickling water. At sundown, the smells of the forest floor settled into the cave. I think the wood we found was pine from the smell the fire gave off. He finished and turned to Lily. TP was quickly writing down notes in his notebook. The only sound in the room other than Freddie and Lily talking was TP scribbling furiously to keep up as they talked. Lily shifted nervously under the silent gaze of all the adults in the room. She ran her forefinger under her nose as if to scratch an itch, shifted in her seat, and turned to face TP. I wear essential oils, so I didn't smell much. Even when I found the skeleton, there was no noticeable smell. There was a constant sound of dripping water, but it was distance. The bats I saw on the ceiling of one part of the cave were squeaking, but the squeaking was stationary. That leads me to believe they were on the ceiling and not flying. The part of the cave where I heard and saw the bats did have some visible dark holes, so the cave may have gone further than I was willing to explore. Freddie leaned forward to look past Lily at TP. That was an interesting question. Curious. What drew you to ask that? Freddie furrowed his brow in anticipation of TP's answer. TP finished writing, scanned the group, and then turned his gaze to the group. That was one of the first questions that popped in my head when we'd figured out y'all were in a cave. I wanted to get a feel for, well, for what you were feeling, seeing, and hearing. Maybe I was trying to put myself in your place. Are, all, are y'all going to write or journal about your experience? There were squeaks of movement from the leather couches, and then Sammy, Jim Bob, and TP spoke simultaneously. If you don't write it down, it didn't happen. The group looked from one to the other in astonishment. They teach that at the law enforcement academy, Sheriff Stratton offered dryly. Navy training, Sammy interjected, glancing at Jim Bob, who nodded in agreement. 
Freddie and Lily reached under their chairs and held hardback journals aloft. Lily's journal was covered with bright flowers. Freddie's journal was brown leather colored. With that, let's continue. Sheriff Stratton pulled his notebook from his pocket, licked his finger, and leafed through some pages before starting. Going to have to do an incident report on all this. However, those details can wait till later. I'm a bit of a prepper, so I'm curious what you might change about the loadout of your backpacks after all of this. Sheriff Stratton always saw things pragmatically. Lily and Freddie consulted their journals. Each scribbled a few notes, and then Lily started. I need to put together some type of medical kit. Lily hesitated, casting a quick glance at Freddie. If Freddie hadn't brought one, we might have been in trouble. I also need to pack in some bank line and a good knife like Freddie's. He won't get grief from me again for what he packs. She smiled at Freddie with her pen poised to write whatever he said. Jim Bob had pulled his duct tape note card holder from his left rear pocket. This sounded like a Christmas list for Lily and Freddie. I've been through my list a couple of times. A, a K presents a unique set of circumstances. The only thing I need to add is a couple or three 5 mil 55 gallon trash bags. They wouldn't have been of use this time, but I can think of multiple uses in other environments. Miss Reba, you're next. Freddie faced her direction and prepared to write down her words because she always seemed to be full of God's wisdom. I was in fervent prayer for both of you and for the people searching for you. Only one question for each of you. What has God taught you through this experience? Reba finished with a smile in anticipation of their answers. Freddie started speaking first. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It's not just words, but a promise with a condition. That passage means so much more to me now that I've walked it. Freddie turned and faced Lily. First, I learned that situational awareness is very important. Thanks, Dad, for teaching me that. Had I kept that in mind, we might not have fallen in that hole. Second, you can learn from any situation and any person. What Freddie and I packed complemented each other, but I have some ideas for him that I will incorporate into my bug-out bag. Mr. Oscar, you're next. All eyes in the room turned to Oscar. How many cases of that Gala's whiskey did that dead fella have in the room with him? Oscar laughed and slapped his knee. I'd sure love to have several bottles of that. For, for medicinal purposes, of course. I have lots of questions about that fella in the room you found, but they can wait. I heard you found a brown fedora in the room with him. Did it have a name in it? Lily reached beside her chair and picked up the fedora, passing it to Oscar. I didn't see a name, but you're welcome to look at it. She rose from her seat and took the hat to Oscar, who examined it carefully. Oscar took the hat over to one of the table lamps and examined it carefully. He even sniffed it and rubbed it against his cheek. You're right, there's no label. If I had to guess, this is a cashmere or wool fedora with some mohair combed into it. You can see the shiny, glistening fibers of the mohair in the light. Means it's a pricey one for the time period. Was the corpse wearing it? He returned to his seat and looked toward Lily as she thought about his question. No, sir, he wasn't wearing it. It was on top of a storage cabinet near the body and the gun. She shivered to think about being back with the skeletal corpse. Oscar rubbed his chin. You can see I'm captivated by the identity of this guy. Try something for me. Close your eyes and see if you can remember anything about what was left of his clothing. Lily breathed deeply and exhaled, relaxing her shoulders as her eyes closed and she was teleported back to that cold, damp room. 
long sleeved chambray shirt with the sleeves rolled up. Levi's, I could see the tag on the floor with the cuffs rolled up. He wore a wide leather belt. She shivered again and exhaled loudly. It's all I can remember. Annie came over and gave her a hug and a back rub to chase away the chill. That's great, Lily. I probably wouldn't have remembered that much. What you thinking, Oscar? I think the fellow you found didn't belong to this hat. He stood from his chair and returned the hat to Lily. Cashmere and mohair don't go with uh, Levi's and chambray shirt. That hat and gun belong to somebody else. Maybe the person who pulled the trigger. Sheriff, what's the statute of limitations on homicide? That's easy. There's no statute of limitations on murder. We'll need to get a forensics team in that room at some point. Lily will need your DNA and fingerprints for elimination, but that can wait. Sheriff Stratton made a note in his notebook of all that Lily had just shared. Keep the fedora. Any DNA will be long gone by now. Who knows? The original owner of that hat may no longer be alive. Reba, Oscar, we invited y'all because you've been a member of the community longer than any of us, and that may be what we need to solve this mystery. Oscar coughed, laughed, and stood to his feet. Y'all invited us because we're two days older than dirt and we know everybody? Now I need to go see a man about a dog. Somebody point me to the nearest lavatory. In this fancy house, I know you ain't got an outhouse. Tubb stood and led Oscar out of the den to the restroom. Jim Bob made a beeline for Sammy and cupped his elbow in his hand to lead him out of the den and into the dining room. Sammy started to protest. Hold it, shipmate. Don't be staring me into trouble. I need help with something. Follow me to my office and there'll be a treat for you. Come on now, Sammy. That's a good boy. Jim Bob sweet-talked Sammy to follow him to his office. Once there, Jim Bob opened the hidden beverage closet and directed Sammy to get an even dozen shot glasses and a tray if he could find one. Jim Bob sat down behind the big desk and pulled a wooden crate of Gaelic Irish whiskey from under the desk. He stood and sat the crate of eight unopened bottles on the desk, just as Sammy returned with the tray. Jim Bob pulled the one open bottle from the crate and filled one of the shot glasses with whiskey and handed it to Sammy. Bottoms up for trusting me and helping me with this. Let's take this back and treat everybody, the adults at least, to a sample of the good stuff. Sammy tossed back his shot and issued a satisfied moan before smacking his lips. Dang, that's smoother than a baby's bottom. Same stuff we found in yonder is in the room in the cave? Sounds like it by the description from Lily. Let's head back and share the joy. Jim Bob grabbed an unopened bottle and followed Sammy in the tray of shot glasses. They arrived just after Oscar had returned from the lavatory, relieved and refreshed. Sammy sat the tray of shot glasses on the coffee table with the backpack and its contents. Jim Bob stood near the table and cleared his throat to get everybody's attention. Some of you have had a chance to sample the aforementioned Gaelic Irish whiskey that Lily saw in the cave and that we discovered in the passageway between the coffee shop and the bakery. Sheriff Stratton started to speak, but Jim Bob held his hand up, palm out, to stop him. I will share the full story later. Suffice it to say, we discovered a smuggler's passageway between Hebrews and She-Bakes that contained a large quantity of this whiskey. From what Lily has described, she discovered cases of the same whiskey in the cave. Oscar cackled loudly and slapped his knee. Lawsy! This mystery just keeps getting better and more mysterious. Jim Bob pulled out his back pocket pen knife and cut the wax on the bottle. He then carefully slid the cork out and half filled all of the shot glasses. Candy stood and grabbed the tray, offering a shot to all the adults. Can I sip this or do I need to throw it back like cough syrup? Reba was sniffing the whiskey and ready to go. 
Sammy smiled. Miss Reba, it's smoother than. Well, you can sip it and savor it. She'll go down like silk.